Hello, it's me, Tom, again from Esquire Middle East. Welcome back to another episode of the Esquire Q&A podcast. As you know, each week we sit down with a man or a woman who exhibits both style and substance, two characteristics that we hold most dear here at Esquire. Now today, my guest certainly embodies those two principles, and for the first time for the podcast, he's involved in the busy hospitality industry. As those who know places like the Middle East will tell you, this region is a hotbed for new luxury hotels, Dubai in particular. Tim Corden spent most of his life running these types of hotels, and now looks after 85 currently, with another 80 in development. Yes, Tim is the Senior Vice President of the Radisson Hotel Group, here in the Middle East and Africa, and spends his time travelling around the world, literally checking in on some of the region's best hotels. But that's enough waffle from me, why don't we talk to the big man himself? Enjoy. So, as I mentioned before, I've already done an intro, but I always like to start these things by saying, let's say, for example, you turn up at a party, you don't know who anyone is, they don't know who you are, how do you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Tim, uh, Tim Corden. I'm the uh, area senior vice president for uh, Middle East and Africa for Radisson Hotel Group. Um, I guess I've been in Dubai for uh, very nearly seven years now, and um, I've been around the area for a lot longer than that. So, mm. um, so yeah, that's me. So, what, 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 what do you actually? What, what is your job? And what do you do? That's a, good a really, title. that's a really a good question. Title. Yeah. <laughs> what, well, what's the what, what is the doing of the of the job? I mean, my my job primarily is to make sure that we deliver for our owners and for our stakeholders in the hotels. So mm. our company doesn't tend to own hotels. Very few hotel companies do actually. Mm. Um, we operate hotels or we manage hotels on behalf of other people, uh, real estate developers, local high net worth individuals, that kind of thing. Mm. And, and my primary responsibility is to make sure that we deliver what we promise to those guys, but also to our guests, mm. to our teams, all the stakeholders that make uh, the hotel business as fun as it is. Mm. So then, so before Dubai, you were in the UK? I'm British, so yeah, that's where I started. But again, uh, we're running something in Manchester, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did the a little route, actually. Um, uh, I went to university in Nottingham. I'm from the Midlands originally. Um, did mechanical engineering, which is always the, you know, <laughs> that, that's the predefined route into hospitality, right? <laughs> so it was, uh, I sort of fell into hospitality. Um, and, and the bug bit, you know, I, I just loved it from, from day one, being in a hotel and, and working with people. And, and a hotel is a complete business. Mm. You know, it, it has everything. You take a raw material, you put it through a manufacturing process, you cook it, you make food. Mm. And, um, and you have finance, legal, customer service. The whole, the whole, the whole sort of business spectrum is encapsulated in, in a hotel. So, so I really loved it. And then, yeah, I uh, ended up in Edinburgh, uh, mm. working on a Royal Mile there for a few years, and then Manchester, and then gradually kind of worked my way south down to, uh, down to London, where I was for a number of years as well. So biggest difference between working in Dubai versus back in the UK? Other than the obvious with the well, weather, you mean? Yes. Um, uh, well, look, London or, or the UK is a fully developed market. Mm. Um, so it's... It's different in that respect because it's far more consistent. Hmm. You know, if you can predict pretty much what's going to happen in the next two or three years to a, to a fair degree of accuracy in most developed markets that where where we operate anyway, where where we uh, where we have hotels, and the UK is a good example of that. Hmm. Um, whereas in Dubai or in the Middle East and Africa, you know that's a 
to a lesser or greater extent, a developing market. Yeah. So you have these sort of swings. And what that provides for you is some risk, but also some massive opportunity. Mm. So I, I actually prefer it out here because it's more dynamic, it's more exciting. And there's definitely more um, opportunity to change things. You can mm. have a bigger impact. Mm. So more challenge then? More? More challenges out here. Uh, different challenges. Okay. Different challenges. I, I don't think it's fair to say there's more, uh, but definitely different. So mm-hmm. it's more, I, I think the business landscape here can be more complicated mm. uh, because you're dealing with different levels of development. And by development, I mean, you know, market development, uh, the levels of skill you have in mm. some markets, levels of commercial maturity. Mm. Um, and that commercial maturity can extend to individuals, but also organizations, you know, bank funding, whatever. Um, so, so that creates all kinds of different mm. yeah, challenges, I guess, but they're, they're, they're probably not more numerous than uh, developed markets, just, just different. Well, so, so kind of going on that line, just because we've been talking about it over the last two weeks, internally and externally, um, how, how, how much is Saudi Arabia now on your kind of radar? Well, it, it always has been. Mm. I mean, Saudi's always been a, a, a big target for us. Uh, you know, for, for our organization, we, we've got about uh, well, near enough 50 hotels either mm. under, under developments already open in the kingdom. And, and we expect that we can increase that significantly. Mm. And obviously what's happened recently in in saudi is phenomenal news for us um for for the hospitality business generally Mm. Uh, but also for for tourism and and customers i mean saudi if you if you've not been there and you don't know the country obviously the external perception can be less than positive yeah let's say that yes at at least from a tourism point of view um but the reality is it's a, a massive and interesting interesting country with a huge geographical uh, footprint mm. and also a, a large population and uh, highest percentage of population uh, 30 and under of just about any country in the world, I believe. Mm. So mm. it's an incredibly fast-changing environment, very dynamic and, and, and seems to be, well, definitely is, more open to change than it ever has been at any, any point, at least in the recent mm. history. So, um, so yeah, there are, some, there are some cool things happening there. Mm. Well, no, so, so they kind of, you know, there's a big, obviously a big Saudi Arabia tourism push. Yeah. Obviously, if you use YouTube, you can't really escape the adverts and there's billboards no, all along, no. along the roads here. Um, so they kind of did a big kind of press junket uh, internationally. And they brought a load of UK journalists, sort of US journalists over, um, showed them the sites. And they were a little bit panned just on the basis of things like um, one of them being kind of in a lot of the big tourism areas. There aren't actually hotels yet. Um, things like, you know, again, the general populace don't really speak very much English. They don't really know what they're doing. Uh, that's obviously got to change. Do you think in future? Yeah. That's obviously, but, uh, you know, I, of course it will change, you know, I mean, there's, there are, uh, infrastructure needs hmm. in, in Saudi Arabia and they're being dealt with. I mean, there's a, there's a whole load of, uh, infrastructure projects that the government in Saudi Arabia are delivering on at the moment. Um, and that, Yes, part of that is hotels, mm. part of that is uh, roads, tourism mm. infrastructure, and so on and so on. Um, but, you know, you, you need to sort of change your mindset a little bit, I think, anyway, when, it, when you're looking at Saudi. You know, I think there's a, there's a huge demand in tourism 
for authentic experiences, mm. authentic and original experiences and, and as unique as possible. Mm. Uh, and I think Saudi provides that in, in, in spades, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go to, uh, to some of the more remote parts of Saudi Arabia, there's some incredible things to see mm. and you're going to be one of the first to go there. I was going to say, is there like a finite window of that? Because obviously that was kind of like back in the day, that was, it was Jordan, it was Petra, like that yeah. was the authentic, that yeah. was unique. Now it's just a complete... It's a tourist trap. Well, yeah. I mean, it's certainly, uh, it's definitely on the map, isn't it? Mm. Um, Petra, everyone knows about it. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, you can, you can go to Saudi now and, and no one's going to have heard of the places you're going to. Of course, yeah, eventually, if the Saudi tourism roadmap is delivered, mm. and let's all hope it will be, then that, that is, there is a finite time mm. that you can be the first person to go yeah, there yeah. out of your circle of friends or your family or whatever. So, um, so yeah, I think that there's definitely some Instagram-worthy stories in Saudi, yeah, that's yeah. for sure. Yeah, that's actually fair. And then, so a little bit closer to home, obviously, how, how much are you guys involved, excited about, obviously, Expo? Because, you know, 365 days to go, we're all, as a, as a, as a city, obviously counting down. Is that, is, that a, is that a big blip for you guys? Or is it just kind of like, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, we know it's there, it's on the calendar, but... It, it's a big blip. I mean, it, it's a big deal, full stop. Mm. Um, Expo 2020, what, 25 million visitors. I mean, it's a, it's a huge deal for mm. Dubai. I, I'd perhaps look at it a slightly different way, though. Um, it's an important moment in the timeline of Dubai becoming a developed market in terms of hospitality and tourism anyway. Yeah. So it's very important for the six months that it's happening um, from October next year. And, and the visitors that it'll attract will undoubtedly help the economy over that period. But I think it's actually more important what the legacy thereafter is. Mm. Um, because the reason for having an event like an expo is, of course, yes, you have this positive period whilst it's happening, but but it's what happens afterwards. So I, I like to think that it's going to enhance Dubai's reputation. It's going to enhance Dubai on the global stage, and it's going to have a sustained positive benefit mm. for mass tourism. Um, I mean, the Lonely Planet have just put Dubai on their today, uh, wasn't it? Yeah, today, yeah, their their list of cities to go to in 2020, and then they're largely driven by the Expo, I'm sure. Uh, and I think that's an important example of mm. what the Expo does for us, and and hopefully that's going to extend well beyond 2020. Yeah. And, and that's what I mean by Dubai becoming a, a more developed market. I mean, we've got a, Dubai as a city now has a, a, around 100,000 rooms available every single yeah. day. I mean, to give it some kind of comparison, that's roughly the same size as London. Mm. And if you think of London, though, is, is not really growing. It's a, it's a market that's more or less had that number of rooms for a number yeah. of years. And Dubai is accelerating towards that target and perhaps will overtake London in the next couple of years. So there needs to be these kind of game-changing events to help establish Dubai mm. as a, a global center for tourism. And when I say tourism, I mean commercial tourism, um, yes, leisure tourism, mm. business tourism, convention tourism. Um, and, and that kind of mass market tourism has mm. to be uh, something that Dubai uh, delivers on. And I think the Expo is an important part of that wider strategy. So what, what do you think is going to happen post-Expo? In the immediate aftermath. I mean, that's that's always the headline-grabbing story, isn't well, that it? Well, is that, that's what everyone's saying. Exactly, yeah, yeah. That 2021 is going to be, uh, you know, the second half of 2021, yeah. it's going to be, you know, like, uh, no one's going to be here and it's going to be terrible. I don't think that's the case, you know. Dubai is a very seasonal market anyway, so 
the summer is is obviously less busy. Mm. It's really hot. Less people want to come here. Um, and I think the summer of 21, that's going to be the case as it is every summer. Mm. Um, but then the hotels in Dubai currently run uh, in very high occupancies in the first quarter and second and last quarter of the year. Mm. So Q4 2021, I've absolutely no reason to think that it won't be a really good period. Yeah. Because it's it's a good period anyway. Mm. So why would it be a bad period in 2021? Because we don't have the expo. We should have all our normal business that we have anyway, plus perhaps some incremental gain mm. from the deals that were done at the expo the bonus, and, the, yeah. and the, uh, the highlighted exposure of the city. Mm. So I'm, I'm pretty bullish about it, mm. frankly. I mean, when I look at, and I look around a region and I look at the expansion in some markets, Dubai is one of the ones which really has a very coherent and well-structured um, and concrete plan to actually deliver the number of tourists and visitors that we need to fill those hotel rooms. Mm. The difference is that um, that mass tourism comes with a, a, a wide variety of depth of pocket. So instead of Dubai being as it's currently famous for and always has been known for, you know, seven-star luxury hotels, yeah. it's now going to uh, service a, a wide variety of different people. And that means a wide variety of different hotels at different price points. Mm. Um, and, and that creates headline-grabbing statistics because you say, well, the rates are down. Well, yeah, partly they're down because they needed to come down because it was too expensive as a global destination. Mm. And and partly they're down because we have mid-market hotels entering the city. Which I think I remember that was kind of a key thing of Expo. Dubai, you know, has five-star hotels everywhere. But it was just like, but what about what about fours and, and what about threes? There's a, obviously a huge yeah. uh, market there for that. Absolutely. I mean, if you, if you want to have 100,000 rooms for sale every day, you... You can't just target the top one percent. Right? Yeah, you've got to you've got to have mass tourism, and and Dubai is ideally placed geographically to take advantage of that. Particularly the explosion of tourism from uh, from the east. You know, mm. when we look east for opportunities. Yeah, China is already the fastest growing market uh, incoming into Dubai. Double double digit growth for the last three years. I think it's the third mm. third highest market into into Dubai now. So um, you know that market needs a, a variety of different products, right? Mm. So then the big question for us is is that there's always, I don't know, Dubai is one of those places, I've been out here for about 10 years now, there's always a hotel that's opening up. Yeah. Pretty much there's always a new hotel, no matter what. Is that is it sustainable? Is that an actual thing? Can it keep on going? Like I, 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 can, I, can, I can probably list off about 15 hotels that are going to be launching in the next 18 months. Yeah. Is that a sustainable, is that a sustainable model? Will it eventually kind of curtail, do you think? Or, or is there is there enough fuel like in this market to? It depends on your your timeline. Mm. You know, <clears throat> no. I mean, the the current pace for development of hotels is not sustainable ad infinitum. You know, mm. that can't happen every year for the next thirty years. Yeah. I, I, at least I don't think so. But what can happen in the medium term is yes, I think that that is sustainable. Um, you know, you need to look at Dubai as part as a city in a in an international sense. Mm. So, Dubai currently does. I mean, year to date this year, it's it's done around a hundred and five dollars something like that rev par. Well, when we say rev par, I mean revenue per available room. So it's okay. kind of a mix of occupancy and average rate. Mm. And if you go globally and look at other cities that could produce that kind of income, mm. um, well, you're talking about some pretty well-established cities around the world. But the barrier to entry of putting a hotel in one of those cities uh, is a lot higher than mm. it is to putting one in Dubai. So definitely there's uh, space 
for hotels in Dubai. Uh, I, I don't think there's any question about that. The question is, how much should you invest in one of those hotels in Dubai? Because that return level is now defined. Yeah. As opposed to, you know, maybe 10 years ago when you could almost, there was no ceiling to what you invested in a hotel in Dubai because the return was secure anyway because mm. the rates were so high and you know, the market was so good. Um, whereas now it's more developed, so you need to be a little bit more cautious and a little bit more considered in the amount of space you use, the materials you use in your hotel, how mm. much you're spending. Mm. So then uh, I'm guessing that you do quite a lot of traveling yourself. Yep. Yeah, I think I think my wife would agree with you. Yeah. <laughs> where do you uh, where do you spend most of your time? I'm guessing here, but where like after Dubai, where's the? Um, I you know I don't think there's one place I can say I spend most of my time. Uh, yeah, I mean our office is in Dubai. This is where I'm based. Mm. Uh, home is here, so so of course I guess most of my time is here. Mm. But I travel about three weeks a month, more or less. Okay. Um, and let's see where have I been for the last few weeks? Uh, I was in Kuwait. Earlier this week, um, and last week I was in Abidjan mm. in uh, Cote d'Ivoire. Um, so that was a, a North Africa trip. Uh, I got Cape Town, Johannesburg coming up. Um, so I suppose my time split pretty much fifty-fifty between Africa and the Middle East. Mm. But the Middle East trips tend to be uh, you know you can you can get more done in a shorter period of time because the travel times are a lot closer. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you know within a couple of hours flight you've more or less covered the GCC. Mm. Um, whereas Africa, you know, it's, it, the distances are a lot greater. Yeah. So I'm always I'm always fascinated because because Dubai is kind of in the middle, right? So we talk to a lot of different CEOs who are kind of kind of they, they come through Dubai and then they continue onwards and and vice versa. I'm always fascinated by how by by people who kind of travel constantly as a part of their job and still manage to function, right? Because I uh, we do a lot of travel, but it's just like cool. I, yeah, I can do that, and then two days later, I'm just you know I'm dead to the world, right? Yeah. In terms of jet lag and like, like, how do you how do you remain productive when you have to travel quite a lot? Is is effectively the? Uh, I mean, I think it, the advice I'm asking yeah, you yeah, for sure. when I have there's, to do it. There's lots of tips and tricks, um, but you need to find what works for you. Mm. I mean, for for me. Uh, one of the things I do is I don't close the curtains in a hotel room, or at least I don't close them fully, mm. so that whenever the sun comes up, I'm waking up. I and mean, if it's dark and I wake up, you know, while well, it's still dark. Yeah. Uh, See, so I try and adjust uh, to various different time zones doing that. Uh, I fly a lot overnight uh, because I don't have a problem sleeping on a plane. Okay, so, yeah. so that works for me. And, and actually, that's that's uh, unlocked a lot of time for me because if you're flying, you know, like nine, 10 hours in a, in a single stint, that's a whole day. Hmm. Uh, so if your flight's at 9am, well, you, you know, the whole day in the air, yeah, yeah. Uh, much better for, in my view that you spend five or six hours hmm. uh, at that time asleep. So, so I do that quite a lot. Um, and, uh, and I also think, you know, make the time away as effective as you possibly can. I mean, cram as much activity in it as, as you possibly can. And, um, and and yeah, I mean, I guess that you get used to that pace mm. uh, somehow, and uh, and it works. Mm. Total aside, um, but you know, like yesterday, the the world's longest flight, uh, right, Sydney, yeah. New York, landed twenty hours. Yeah, ultra long haul. Ultra. What do you think? <laughs> you think about that? Like, obviously, it makes sense if you don't have to do a, a layover, but that twenty hours on a plane that is a long, that is a long old stint. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Um, that's that's longer than I've ever flown. Obviously, anyone's yeah. ever flown. Um, ah, boredom's always what you what you end up tackling, mm. really. But uh, and I suppose people are less 
uh, able to handle periods of inactivity and periods certainly not connected yeah. than they ever used to be. Um, so that's probably more the challenge. Uh, sleep, that's one way to get around it a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, I, I work a lot on, mm. on planes. Uh, you can get a, a lot done. Um, I think the mindset has to be different. You know, a lot of people get on a plane less frequently, let's say, and it's kind of an event. Yeah. Um, so you want to have a, a glass of something or maybe one or two glasses of something and enjoy a meal and, and enjoy the in-flight service and, and enjoy the experience of flying. And, and that's totally valid. But when you'll get it, when that's happening, uh, several times a month, mm. um, you, it becomes part of your daily routine. So you're not having a glass of something. You're not really looking to enjoy the experience. You just want to make the time as productive as possible. Yeah. Um, and when you get that into your head, then you can you can actually make that travel time mm. well more useful mm. than than it would be otherwise. Twenty hours though, they, yeah, that's a challenge. That's a long time. That's a lot of movies, isn't it? You know? It's an awful lot. Um, well, then, so kind of, I, I, I'll kind of. This is an example which I'll then kind of ask you about. So uh, we talked to a lot of chefs, yeah. And one of the big things with a lot of the chefs we talk to is um, they love to cook at work. They don't do any cooking at home. So for you, you travel in hotels is kind of your job. Yeah. So when you go on holiday, what what do you, what do you do? Do you go on holiday or is a holiday for you just like, you're just like, I'm not going to travel. I'm just going to stay where I am for a bit. <laughs> well, my travel um, and uh, visiting hotels is anything but a holiday. What? Yeah. Uh, so, so no, I, I definitely go on holiday. Um, that's probably the, you know, one of the big things as a family we plan over throughout the course of the year, like most families, you know, mm. what are we going to do? How are we going to enjoy our time away? Um, I, I don't avoid hotels. Uh, I think I still get a lot out of uh, visiting hotels and enjoying the experiences. Mm. Um, I'm always learning as well. You know, there's n- there's never you never stop finding new ways of doing things. Never stop finding exciting new opportunities in hotels. So so I still I still enjoy going to them, but we do tend to mix it up mm. with going to uh, uh, you know residential as well. Mm. So. Uh, Visiting home or or, or visiting uh, Airbnb type places, that yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing. Um, especially with with the with the kids, it makes it a, a bit easier than mm. a hotels in some locations. Mm. Well, yeah, there was a bit. There was a bit where, where, where we we do travel a bit. There was a bit a period of like lots of travel, the sort of level where like you don't unpack the bag because it's you may as well stay packed. And then there, the, then kind of something happened where the excitement of going to the airport stopped happening. Because generally, when you go to the airport, you're obviously excited because you're going off to do a thing, and that's interesting. And then there was a bit where that just completely left, and it was just like, oh, the airport. Oh, that's a I've got to go do that. That's a bit of a pain. But obviously, from what you were saying before, is just it's a swap of mindset, and it's yeah, just like it's just you know, more of a long commute, I guess. That's my office. Yeah. Um, and uh, that, that's that's the nine to five for me. You mm. know. Um, is is traveling? So mm. you got to learn to be productive whilst you're doing that. Mm. I mean, I I come across this quite a lot where someone says to me, "You know, I I've I've been traveling for the last three days, yeah. So I've not been able to do X Y Z report, whatever it is." And my review is always kind of like, "Well, okay, but why?" Mm. Um, I, I don't I don't see travel as necessarily a downtime. It's um it's an opportunity to to work in a different way. Mm-mm. 
<laughs> I've, I've, been, I've been able to do nothing. I've been on a <laughs> been on an airplane watching films. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so uh, just because, kind of, again, you you work in the trade, and obviously you stay in a lot of different hotels. Uh, for you, what is the mark of a of a good hotel? Oh, the team, the people in it. People. Um, you know, you can have the most fabulous uh, building with the most wonderful materials yeah. and the and the comfiest beds or whatever. It's superb mm. infrastructure. But if the people in that building aren't, don't really care about what they're doing and they aren't providing real hospitality, then you always end up with a sort of a substandard experience. And, and if you think back, most people, and, and I certainly believe this, the memorable moments that are created are created by people. Mm. Very rarely are they created by the size of the TV in a room. They're created by the the person that met you on the door and or wished you a pleasant day, or so, or a member of the team that went out of their way to make sure that your stay was comfortable or exceptional or whatever mm. it was. So the the most important, the critical part of a hotel is is definitely the people in it, mm. the mm. team that delivers the service. And uh, outside of that, a hotel is just a building. Mm. And it's very limited in, in terms of what it can provide to you without the people in it to, to mm. enact with you. So people, a little bit businessy question though, purely on the basis that there's so many hotels kind of in development and also here in Dubai, I have heard from other people who work in the industry that actually getting those people and retaining them is a huge issue. Yeah. Is that true? Absolutely. I mm. mean, I don't think hospitality or hotels are alone in that. Mm. I mean, there is a, a, you know, I don't want to call it this, but a war for talent. You know, there really is getting uh, good people. And, and when I say good people, I don't mean people who have got great experience. That can be the case. But I mean people with a fantastic attitude mm. who really are excited and passionate to be working in whatever particular industry it is, in this case, hotels. And and then you can you can teach skills, mm. you can train skills, but what you need is, is people who are really enthused mm. by the opportunity to host other people, and mm. that's essentially what you're doing in a hotel. Mm. Um, and if you if you can get those people, the right mindset, the right team together in the right place at the right time, then literally anything is possible. So, and I'm gonna put you on the spot. Best hotel you've ever stayed in that's you know it's not the first time someone's asked me that mm. obviously and i always really struggle because you know i i'm gonna say you know best hotel to deliver what you know best hotel for a business day mm. uh best hotel for a beach holiday with the kids or a you, best hotel for you're gonna go on holiday or... you're gonna go on holiday at christmas you're gonna go stay in a hotel and then that's the last hotel you'll ever be allowed to go to where are you going? I can't pin it down to one. <laughs> I can't. It's not possible. Because, you know, there's the, the world is just too big. There yeah. are too many endless opportunities. Now, you say Christmas, and I, I guess most people are immediately thinking snow, fireplace. Mm. Is there some, you know, boutique chalet in the Alps where mm. I can go to? But then, uh, then the other half of the brain is going... Oh, the Maldives is lovely. That's, so I, that's my head right there. I was just like, so, I'm going to the Maldives. So, so what do you want to say? You know? yeah. uh, so it becomes it comes down to a really personal choice. Mm. Um, and, and that personal choice can change because one year, okay, if it's the last hotel you ever want to do, then maybe you've just done the Maldives. So, or you've just been to an island mm. in the summer. So yeah, you want to go and um, stay in a, a, a snowy wonderland. Mm. 
then then that's that's different. Mm. But um, I'd, I, I guess if I had to narrow it down to a city, I'd probably focus on London. I've got mm. a lot of happy memories there. Um, so so that would probably be the location mm. for Christmas. But yeah, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, <laughs> That was the, that was the last question. That's why I saved that one. Um, thank you very much for coming in and for talking to us. Um, and we'll we'll there's a load of links in kind of the the bio on this podcast. All right. Thanks very much. Pleasure. Yeah, thank you very much. And that's been another episode of the Esquire Q and A podcast. Now the only thing left to do is to rate the podcast using your favorite podcasting app, so we know how you enjoyed today's guest. Do that, and we can make sure to bring you even bigger names each and every week. I'll see you very soon.